closer to home than you would have hoped that it would have. Well, if you're here and this is your first time, maybe the first time in a long time, you picked a great Sunday to start off with because we're starting a brand new series for 2017 called Hashtag The Struggle Is Real. And uh, throughout this series, we're going to be looking at areas that are common struggles uh, to people in life, whether they're Christians or not Christians. And we're going to look at these reasons uh, because we think uh, something very, very simple is very powerful. Here, here's what we believe. No matter what area of struggle people are walking through, we think the Bible has wisdom and help and hope that speak into the challenges that people are walking through uh, in life. That the Bible is not just good information for life after death. The Bible actually has wisdom and hope for life before uh, death. And so we believe that once you're exposed to that reality, then your confidence in both the Word of God and the God of the Word will increase exponentially and you can live with greater confidence and, and live with uh, for God's glory. And so we're excited about this series. It's going to be very practical and I hope very powerful uh, for your life. So if that sounds like a good plan for a series, would you just say amen this morning? Good, because I had nothing else to offer, so that works out well. Well, uh, for the first few weeks, we're going to look at some very practical things. We're going to talk about work and we're going to talk about financial pressure and we're going to talk about a couple other things. But then uh, we're going to ask you to partner with us and help us build this series out. And what I mean by that is starting next week, you'll begin to submit things and say, hey, listen, uh, the struggle is real and you can fill in the blank, whatever that is in your life. It could be something, you know, it could be struggles real in uh, marriage or uh, with anxiety or whatever the case is. And uh, we're, so we're going to help ask you to help us build this series out. And if lots of people have a similar thing they submit, we'll teach and open up God's Word and say, hey, here's a common struggle. This is the wisdom of God's Word in this area. So we're super excited about this. So when we uh, start off a place to dive into uh, for the series, uh, we want to start off with this idea that I think so many people struggle with, and it's this area of work. And so the first message in the series is entitled, The Struggle's Real, I Hate My Job. And for uh, lots of you, that may be true. For some of you, I hope that's not true. But we're going to look in this area for two weeks. And I think you'll be deeply encouraged uh, and challenged uh, in this area of the wisdom of God's Word as it relates to work, even if you're discouraged in your current job uh, situation. So we're going to look at several places in the Bible. Uh, but let's set the foundation where the foundation of work was set and open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2 uh, this morning if you have not. If not, they'll be on the screen there. So um, as you're turning there, uh, just for a little fun, let's do a little survey this morning. How many of you would raise your hand and say you're working at a job or in a field that you never thought you would be working in? How many of you that would describe? Yeah, I, I have my hand up. I was uh, uh, in school as a senior at Miami University to be an elementary school teacher. And all of you have elementary school kids are like, thank God, right? So, uh, so I had no plans. Nobody in my family that I knew was a pastor. And so totally uh, just caught me off guard when God called me uh, in the ministry, like, right? And so some of you, though, like you're, you're, uh, you're, you're work doing what you've always wanted to do. Like ever since you've been little, you wanted to be a teacher, an engineer, a firefighter, you know, whatever the case is. How many of you are working in something that you've always thought you would work in? Like this, not a surprise to you at all. Yeah, fewer of you, but yeah, I guess some of you. So uh, how many of you, uh, just be honest this morning because God knows our hearts. How many of you hate what you're doing? We just raise, oh, some people, I couldn't even get the word, two hands up. How many of you hate what you're doing? Yeah, some of you got your hands up. How many of you love your, like, love what you're doing? You love your job, love what you're doing. You got lots of hands. How many of you that had your hands up just a minute ago? Hate the people that just raised their hands that time. Would you be honest, right? Like, some of you are writing names down, like you're praying against those folks that, you know, somehow their job would turn upside 
down. Well, I think that's a common struggle uh, for lots of people. And here's why I think we need wisdom and hope and help uh, in this area. And some of this is uh, discouraging, but it's true. The average worker will spend 80,000 hours at work in their lifetime. Now, some of you, that felt like last year, right? Like that was all, like, but the average person will spend around 80,000 hours in a workplace uh, environment uh, in their lifetime. So that's a lot of opportunity to reflect uh, God's character and glorify God in our workplaces. So I just want to spend a couple first Sundays here uh, getting our hearts and minds centered on God's wisdom for work. All right, so let's uh, begin here in Genesis chapter 2. Let's pick up the text in verse 4 this morning. And this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. So, so right off the bat, if we had rewind a little bit in Genesis chapter 1, we think that God's just not hanging out uh, in heaven, having fellowship with the Trinity, that God himself uh, was at work. And so if we're going to model the character of God, we see that God, from the very beginning, was working and the work of creation. And then when God finished the work of creation, God looked around at all he created, and God had a thought. God said, hey, listen, there's no one to take care of all of this creation. And so uh, and we see this in verse uh, 6, it says, uh, or at the end of verse 5, there was no man to till the ground. There, there was no one to work to keep up what God had worked at creating. All right? And then in verse uh, 6, but a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man for whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then the river went out to Eden to water the garden, and there it parted into four uh, river heads, and he walks through uh, all of that. So, so, so here's, here's a chronology of what's happening. God, God is at work uh, in the work of creation. God looks down at all of his creation, sees that it is good, uh, but the only problem is there's no one to keep up with all that God's created. And so God uh, breathes life into man, and then what's he do? He gives him a job. He says, hey, listen, uh, your job, I'm, I'm going to plant a garden, and I want you to uh, be in that garden. I want you to take care of it, work the garden, do those things, uh, and then we'll partner together uh, for my glory. And so from the very beginning, we see this idea of work is not something that is foreign. It's not something that, uh, you know, God had to uh, course correction after the fall, but this was a part of God's plan, and so it's an opportunity to reflect God's character. So the first thing I want you to get your minds and hearts around this morning as it relates to work is this idea that work is blessed but broken. All right? Work is blessed uh, but broken. It is blessed because it was ordained of God before the fall. This is not something where God said, oh, you blew it, Adam and Eve, and so now I've got to bring in this thing called work and punish everybody. No, it was a gift of God. It was created of God. God himself modeled it in the work of creation. The first thing he said when he looked around and said, there's no one to work and keep the garden. The first thing he did when he created Adam is said, hey, listen, get in there and take care of all this. Right? And so work uh, is blessed, uh, but it is broken by the fall. Now, uh, this is a place to start because every principle flows out of this theological conviction that we operate, that work is blessed uh, but broken. Now, I, I just got to have a little confession. I, I think as pastors, 
uh, we have some apologizing to do as it relates to work and what we've taught about work and, and how we've kind of uh, directed people. Because if we're not careful, we've indirectly uh, promoted the idea that what people do for a living, whether CEO or stay-at-home mom or all kinds of things, is that whatever they do, it's not a spiritual uh, endeavor. Like if you want to get spiritual, you go into the ministry and we're up here doing God's work and all of you are supporting us as we do God's work. Listen, nothing could be further uh, from the truth. And so let me tell you how that has happened in churches. Listen to this and see if you've ever had this experience. You uh, were in church in some kind of setting or a retreat or whatever the case is and there was a missionary or a guest speaker or someone else and they shared a testimony and their testimony went something like this. I was out uh, just working a job. And I was, uh, you know, just, uh, just struggling to pay my bills, and, and I was kind of distant from the Lord, and I was, uh, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, sliding along in, in every area of my life. But then God got a hold of my heart in a very powerful way, and so I quit my job and went into the ministry, and I've never looked back. Anybody ever heard a testimony like that? Yeah, lots of us have in the room. Listen, uh, how, here's what's implied in that, that if you, if God gets a hold of your heart and you get serious about serving the Lord, you'll quit your job and go into the ministry. Now let me tell you the testimony that needs to be uh, said more often that is missing in the church. It's the person who said this, God got a hold of my heart. And I didn't quit my job, I just went back to work and I started working for God's glory and I impacted the people around me and the people that worked for me. And so instead of uh, you know, getting spiritual and leaving my job, I just started working for the Lord at my job and through my job and it became my ministry to the point I didn't have to leave it to start a ministry. And I, and I hope that you understand, you have so much more potential than I do to influence the people outside the walls of this church. I have lots of influence inside the walls. You have so much more than I have outside the walls of this church. And so you don't need to quit your job if you want to get spiritual and work for the Lord. You just go back to your job with a totally different mindset uh, that work is blessed even though it is broken. And so God wants to work through your work, uh, not in spite of it. Let me say that again. God wants to work through your work, not in spite of it. Your job, whatever it is that you do, uh, it's not a hindrance to ministry and mission. It's an on-ramp. It's not an obstacle. It's an opportunity. And for most of you, in order for that to actually happen, you don't need a new workplace. You just need a new worldview as it relates to work. And so let me say this with the hopes that erases uh, all the times that I've communicated uh, something different unintentionally. Uh, secular work is full-time Christian service. Do you understand that? Secular work is full-time uh, Christian service. If you're working for the Lord, no matter where God has you, listen, it's full-time Christian service. You know this, the Bible doesn't separate between secular and sacred. We do, but the Bible doesn't. The Bible separates between temporal and eternal. And so if you've got a, a sacred job, but you're only doing it for the paycheck, then guess what? You're doing it for temporal reasons. If you've got a secular job, but you're doing it for the Lord to influence his kingdom and bless those around you, guess what? It's a spiritual endeavor. So it has nothing to do with where you work, but how you work and who you work for that honors Christ in the workplace. And so some of you have been in full-time ministry longer than I have because you've learned this principle early on and you've lived out of this. Spiritual is secular if you're living for the temporal, and secular is spiritual if you're living uh, for the eternal. Now, when you begin to uh, get your uh, mind around 
the institutions that God has ordained from, uh, from the beginning, you realize there are basic uh, four uh, institutions that God has ordained for his glory. And this is the chronological order that God has established. And number one is work. How do I know that? Genesis chapter 1, God worked. Genesis chapter 2, God looked down and said, somebody needs a job. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, a little later, he gave someone a job. All right, so work is the first uh, thing that God created and, and for his glory. And then uh, marriage and family. All right, and then uh, human government, whether you like it or not, human government is ordained of God. And then the church, Acts chapter 2. And so work, marriage and family, human government, and then uh, the church. And virtually everything else uh, flows out of those things, is connected back to those things. But if any of those four are corrupted and they all got distorted in the fall, they get out of whack, then guess what? Everything connected to them begins to get distorted as a result of the fall. And so the first chapter of Genesis God himself set a pattern for working six days and uh, taking a Sabbath rest before creation was even completed. Uh, work is mentioned as a part of his plan uh, for mankind. We looked at that in Genesis chapter 2. Let's go back into chapter 2 uh, in verse uh, uh, 15. So chapter 2, verse 15. Uh, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Uh, some of your translations say to work the garden, some say to cultivate and keep it. Uh, it's all the same root word in the Hebrew. The idea is God just looked around and said, hey, if you think that uh, your life is going to be sitting around in paradise and eating grapes and all this kind of stuff, uh, you've got another thing coming, uh, get to work. Get to work. But when God did that, now what, when we hear that, what we think of is God, God punished him. Right? Like, oh, he must have been doing something wrong, and so God hooked him up, you know, and gave him a job. No, listen, this was before the fall. This was before any of that. God looked around and just said, hey, you, you need to find dignity and worth and value, and one of the ways you can do that and glorify me is through work. And so in then verse 15, he gives him a job, and verse 16 uh, says, hey, listen, uh, here's what your job is. Uh, the tree of every garden you may freely eat. Uh, that, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil you should not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you, you shall surely die. So God said, hey, listen, here, here's your job. I want you to tend this. I want you to take care of this. I want you to enjoy the fruits of its labor. The only thing you've got to do is just stay away from a few bad apples, right? Like, but other than that, this is a glorified, this is a wonderful, God-ordained thing. Now, uh, some have speculated because there was, before there was sin, there was work. God gave him a job. Uh, matter of fact, after that, if you go back into verse 26... Uh, it says this, uh, to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. And God gave that to Adam. It was work. Uh, after Eve was created to be his companion, both of them were told to fill the earth and subdue it. That's work. Uh, he went on later to tell Adam, say, hey, listen, all these animals, I want you to carve out some time. I want you to go through and think about it. I want you to give them all names. That's all work. And so here's the thing I want you to settle with, whether you like your job, you love your job, whatever. Listen, settle on this fact that work was a part of God's plan before the fall. So, so work is a blessed thing, even though it's a broken thing. Well, how did it get broken? Because some of you are sitting here, listen, when I think about my job, blessed is not the word that comes to mind, right? So what happened? Well, I'll tell you what happened. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 happened. And then he said to Adam, this is, they took the fruit and uh, they, they ate it. And he, God said, hey, you can do this one thing, don't do it. And that's exactly what they did. Uh, then he said to Adam, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, uh, saying you should not eat of it. L listen to this part. Uh, Cursed is the ground for your sake. Now, not, not just have we been affected spiritually by the fall of Adam, we inherited his sin nature. Listen, the whole earth has been cursed. 
That's why people look around at natural disasters and go, how in the world did that, that happen? Uh, because we live on a fallen, cursed earth. Bad things happen to good people. This is not paradise. Uh, this is paradise lost that we're living in. And so he says the whole earth has been cursed. Uh, and so what else he say? And he says, in toil you shall eat of it. Let, let, let me tell you the, the word for toil here, what it means. All right? This is profound. Not fun. That's what it means. So apparently from a, a, a earlier before the fall, you know, God said, hey, I'm working, and uh, someone needs to work and keep up what I've worked at, and then uh, I'm going to create man, and I'm going to give him a job, and then Eve, you help him, and you guys do all this stuff. And then the fall came, and before that, it must have been pretty pleasurable. Like they must have got up and said, hey, we've got the best job in the world. None of our friends have a better job than us. A little Adam and Eve humor, there was nobody else on the earth, all right, you'll, you'll get that later. And then the fall came. And all of a sudden, his job wasn't so fun anymore. Matter of fact, it became difficult. Keep reading. He says, in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth you. Apparently, for the there was no weeds in the garden early on. But the ground got cursed, and you shall eat herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. So work was a gift of God, but the fall, work was still blessed because we can glorify God through it. But all of a sudden, it became broken. But before that, it must have been an enjoyable thing. One commentator put it this way. He said, if you were a salesman before the fall, there'd be no rejections. Every call would result in a sale. If you were a teacher, every student would come to class with his homework done. If you were a stay-at-home mom, every word of direction would be heeded the first time and that actually, thank you for your wisdom. How great would that be, right? And so work went from blessed to broken because sin uh, didn't destroy God's creation, it just distorted it. And so the idea that, that one day I'll finally be free from the, the burden of work, whatever that looks like, one day uh, in heaven at least we'll you know, just sit around and do whatever, uh, one day, listen, sin didn't destroy work, it just distorted it. That's true with everything that sin touched. Listen, sin didn't uh, eliminate marriage, it just made it hard. Sin didn't eliminate Adam's headship, it just made a source of contention between he and Eve. Sin didn't uh, eliminate childbirth, it just made it painful. And so sin never eliminated work, it just made it toilsome and less pleasurable. So what does all of that mean? It means that the goal is not to eliminate work, the goal is to redeem it for God's glory. It's to get to the place and say, hey, listen, this is a good thing, and it's blessed of God. God himself modeled this, but it's been broken. But here's the good news, is that our God specializes in getting glory from broken things. And one of the ways we glorify God is to redeem broken things for God's glory. And I believe just from the sheer volume of time, maybe the greatest potential to do that is through work. Now, I don't care, again, if you're a CEO or a stay-at-home mom or all kinds of stuff uh, in between. Now, listen, the greatest potential you have to glorify God day in, day out is through your workplace. I'm assuming you're here this morning because you're interested in living for God's glory or at least you're considering that. Uh, but that term has a lot of mysticism attached to it, does it not? Like if someone said, hey, what's one of your New Year's resolutions? I'm just going to glorify God more. Like, what, what, okay, but what does that look like? Like, what does that actually uh, look like? 
Uh, and so if you want to uh, say practically speaking, what does that look like? Uh, going to work tomorrow with the sole motive of glorifying God at work. Go, go into work tomorrow and say, hey, listen, I, I'm here. I'm, not, I'm working practically speaking for my employer, but ultimately I'm working for the Lord. I'm not working for a paycheck or rewards or recognition. I'm working to display God's glory. I'm working to redeem something that was blessed of God but broken in the fall, and I'm going to glorify God through this endeavor. That's what that looks like in a very practical way. I would go so far as to say this, that that's such an uncommon way to look at your job that for some of you, the most evangelistic thing you could do is to go in tomorrow and start working for God's glory to the point where all of a sudden people go, hey, what happened to you on break? Like, like what, what happened, right? And you just say, oh, you know what? God just began to get a hold of my heart and all of a sudden this thing that was a burden to me has now become an incredible opportunity for me to glorify God. And they begin to ask and open up conversations. And so work is blessed. It is a gift of God, not a curse, but it is broken by the fall. But if we're going to live for God's glory on a fallen, broken earth, then guess what? It's our job to reflect the glory of Christ through broken things. And work is a way to do that. Work is a way to do that. If you're on staff here, you should be writing this all down very carefully. I'm just being kidding, all right? Now, all joking aside, I've, just, I've told you this before, and this is not false humility. This is totally just an honest confession. Um, I, I've got a couple degrees in Bible. I've been teaching the Bible uh, full-time for 15 years and teaching about 18 years. Uh, I, I feel like a total amateur when it comes to Bible knowledge. And for some of you, you're like, Phew, good me too some of you that you're like we need to find another church this guy's an idiot right that's true but I don't, anyway I, I just feel like an amateur like every time I dig deeply into God's word I'm just like I didn't how did I not know that this is what I do for a living right how did I not know that it's just inexhaustible wisdom and so on this subject as I begin to study and read and look at all kinds of stuff uh, there's some things I just didn't realize uh, before this week as it relates to the wisdom of God and what he teaches on work. I want you to think about some of these examples that uh, I never thought about before. Now, when we think of uh, Old Testament heroes and people just you know, deeply used of God, we just assume they were all full-time priests and prophets, right? Like, like surely the impact they had, they spent all their time. Think about Daniel and how God used him for his glory and to influence people. And, and here's the reality. Uh, Daniel was not primarily a prophet who used a government service for his pulpit. Uh, Daniel was a career government worker who lived for the Lord through that job for most of his life, and God used him for his glory. Listen, God didn't get a hold of Daniel's heart, and Daniel's like, i got to resign from government. Daniel said, hey, you know what? God's got a hold of my heart, and I'm going to glorify him through my job in the government, and thousands, maybe millions of people were impacted because of his influence. Uh, when we think of, uh, there are times where early on when Christ was starting the church, that yes, God did call some people away from the marketplace. We think of Simon, we think of Andrew, we think of Peter, we think of Luke, the physician. Uh, but there are lots and lots of examples where God just got a hold of people right in their jobs. And they began to glorify him through their workplace. Had incredible impact. Think about this. The book of Acts is all about uh, the miraculous birth of the church and the gospel uh, going out. Did, did you, I didn't realize this until this week when I was studying. There are 40 recorded miracles in the book of Acts. 40 recorded miracles in the book of Acts. 39 out of 40 took place outside of a church context. 39 out of 40. Uh, almost 
all of Jesus' parables have some type of workplace connotation or context when he was teaching. See, see here, here's what all of that means. You know what that means? Say, tell us, oh wise one, just, just Here's what that means. That means that God wants to work through your work, not in spite of it. That God expects you to take something that is broken and redeem it for his glory. And your job, whether it's your jobs at home or outside or it's everything in between, listen, your job's not an obstacle to ministry, it's an opportunity. Every person in the room, if you're living for the Lord, is in full-time Christian service. Because work is blessed even though it's broken. It is blessed even though it is broken. And I believe one of the best places to display the glory of God is in the daily workplace. Henry Blackaby, who's just a spiritual giant, many of you went through a study years ago called Experiencing God. Henry Blackaby said this, he said, I believe the next great revival will happen in the marketplace. And so the foundational conviction we work from is that work is blessed even though it is broken. Here's the second thing I want you to see in this passage this morning, uh, that is that work uh, requires wisdom to be worshipped. Say that ten times really fast, right? That's a mouthful, but it's a mouthful of truth because once we embrace the foundational principle uh, that, that work is worship, then we have to deal with the reality that for many people, their work lives look nothing like that uh, reality. You know, even when we think about uh, heaven, like our idea of heaven is the release from work, right? Uh, now, some people have speculated, and we can't be dogmatic about this, that, that since work was a part of the creation before the fall, and then now we're living in paradise lost, and heaven is paradise restored, uh, if, if work existed in paradise before the fall, work will exist in heaven. And then some of you, I know you don't like your job, you're like, I just, I'm not excited to go to heaven as I used to be, right? Like we have this idea that heaven uh, is just magnifies whatever we enjoy infinitely, right? Like if you like some certain hobby, that's all I'm going to be doing in heaven. And we just, that's just our concept uh, of heaven. Listen, I operate from a deep foundational conviction that the best food on the planet is served out of a window. Amen? Right? And so like in my mind, like heaven is just a long strand of drive-throughs, right? And it's all, I'm just, you know, thank you. Super, you don't even ask for super size. They just assume it. Like I'm scared to death that in 2017 someone's going to come out and go, newscast, fast food's bad for you. No! It's not fattening. I eat it all the time. So, so, so what happens? Work is a gift. Work will probably be a part of heaven. So, so, so why do we need wisdom for work to be worshipped in the meantime? Well, here, here's why. Anytime that something has been broken or distorted by the fall, work, family, government, and the church, anytime something's been distorted by the fall and broken, we tend to respond to that in distorted and broken ways. It got distorted, and we're distorted people, and we respond. And so, what are the two most common ways that we respond to work brokenly or in a distorted way? Let me just share two things uh, with you this morning. We'll leave the rest for next week. Uh, warning sign number one, the way that we use work wrongly is uh, idleness. Idleness. We tend to either worship rest or we worship uh, work. It's usually one side or the other for us. We've gone off on one of those uh, two ditches. And so let's talk about idleness. Proverbs has a lot to say about idleness. You couldn't even uh, contain it all since the day that mankind fell. Uh, we've been inventing ways to get out of work, right? Uh, some of you, uh, listen, this will resonate, hit a little too close to home. 
Uh, listen to the invention of social media, how we have options now to be idle. Uh, one survey related to social media and work said the average worker spends an hour and a half a week of office time uh, on Facebook. And some of you probably have employers that actually block that at your workplace because it's become such a huge opportunity uh, for idleness. Now listen, I don't be too critical. Uh, who can blame us, right? Like how are we going to know what significant things are going to happen to us in 2017 apart from Facebook predicting it, right? Like how in the world, how do I know if I'm even living in the right state apart from participating in that Facebook poll? I mean, how's God going to use me for his glory if I'm living in the wrong state? Amen? The issue is not Facebook, the issue is the vehicle. The issue is idleness. The issue is using work in a broken way by pursuing uh, idleness. Now, Proverbs has a, a great, great word for this. It's a word that's gone out of vogue, and I think we should bring it back. It's just a, a fantastic word. And the word that Proverbs uses to describe the person whose life is dominated by idleness is the word sluggard. Is that not a great word? Amen? Like, if you know someone's having a baby, they don't know what they're having. Listen, suggest that. Just sluggard. Now, you know, somebody's like, what is a sluggard? All right? Uh, it, it describes itself. Think of a slug and then put that in human form. That's a sluggard. All right? Like, just uh, in case you're still wondering, uh, not a compliment. Just write that down, all right? Like, if your boss came in and said, hey, you know what you are? You won the sluggard of the year this morning. He's not talking about home runs, bro. That's not a compliment, all right? So listen to Proverbs 6, and I, uh, verses 6 to 11. I wrote the message paraphrase down because it's hilarious uh, the way that it phrases it. It said, You lazy fool, look at an ant. Watch it closely. Let it teach you a thing or two. Nobody has to tell it what to do. All summer it stores up food. At harvest it stockpiles provisions. So how long are you going to lay around and do nothing? How long before you get out of bed? A nap here, a nap there, a day off here, a day off there. Sit back, take it easy. Do you know what comes next? Just this. You can look forward to a dirt poor life, poverty, your permanent house guest. Proverbs chapter 26, describing a lazy person. Verses 13 through 15, the Living Bible gives three examples of a lazy person. Uh, verse 13 is my favorite. The lazy person claims there's a lion in the road. Yes, I'm sure there's a lion out there. Now, if you read that whole passage, uh, they, they don't, what they're saying is, why won't you go outside the house and do something? Because I'm just assuming there's a huge beast roaming around. I don't know if there is because I'm too lazy to get up and unlock the door. But the reason I can't is because there's a beast out there in the road. I, won't even, I can't do it. It's ridiculous. Uh, then it says this in verse 14. As a door swings back and forth on its hinges, so a lazy person turns over in the bed. Uh, verse 15, lazy people take food in their hand, but don't even lift it to their mouth. Like they don't even feed themselves. Now, there's a lot of confusion about God's will as it relates to marriage and work. And we talked about that uh, at the beginning of last year. We did a series on God's will. And, you know, this false notion there's only one person in the whole world that you can marry and, and be in God's will. The problem with that is somewhere, someone along the way got out of God's will, married the wrong person, and there that just domino effect jacked that up for everybody else, right? So totally not true. There's some people that teach that when it comes to God's will and work, that you can only be at one job in the whole world and be in the center of God's will. Total garbage, all right? But let me tell you this, if you're, there's mystery about uh, is my job, am I in the will of God as it relates to my job and work and all that kind of stuff. Listen, let me tell you this, if you're a lazy employee, you're outside the will of God for your life. Alright? That's a prophetic word. The, the Bible speaks so strongly uh, against that. And so, uh, let me just share this with you. Um, how you work is far more important to glorifying God than where you work. How you work is far more important to glorifying God 
than where you work as it relates to living for the glory of God. And don't fool yourself into thinking, well, I'm idle, and I'm, you know, you know, also, but, if, but if, if just God would give me my dream job, then all of a sudden I would display his glory. Listen, if you're not faithful in few things, God will not make you ruler over much. If you're not a faithful, God-honoring, God-glorifying employee now, why in the world would God give you a bigger platform to dishonor him? And so idleness is one of the ways that we respond to work in a broken way. And the second is just the opposite. Uh, it's idolatry. Idleness is where work means nothing to the point I don't even want to glorify God. Idolatry is work is everything. Uh, remember what an idol is. An idol is anything other than God that promises us comfort, security, or joy in the place of God. That's what an idol is. It's anything that promises to do what only God himself was meant to do. Uh, it's anything that offers us identity or solace when our identity is misplaced. And for lots of people, that's work. Now, I'm not the smartest person in the room, but I'm smart enough to know this. I cannot manage my idols. I cannot do it. They'll consume me. They have insatiable appetites. They'll destroy me and everything else around me. You know, idols are like wild animals. They were never meant to be petted or tamed. Right? You just not love the news report when somebody has been raising some wild beast and all of a sudden, shock and aghast, it turns on them and devours them. And all the while, they argue tooth and nail. Oh, no, no, I've domesticated this tiger, bear, gorilla, snake, you know, whatever the case is, totally domesticated. And then all of a sudden, shock of all, it devours them. And someone comes along and is interviewed, right, and says, something must have spooked that animal that was totally out of character for them to eat their owner. No, totally in character, they're a wild beast, all right? And so when it comes to idols, I have no uh, misconception that I can tame it and manage it. Uh, the Bible doesn't say manage your idols, it says uproot them. It doesn't need to be fed or petted, it needs to be put down, is what Scripture says. Now here's the problem. I know that. I've tried to teach you that. The problem is not my ignorance as it relates to idols. The problem is my ignorance in identifying them in my life. Like, I'm not looking in the mirror going, oh, there's clearly an idol in your life, but it's cool. I'm totally blind to it. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, I have a heart that is wicked and deceitful. I'm deceived about the affections of my own heart. That's why you need people that are close in your life, walking with you, who will speak truth in your life. The Bible in Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Why are they faithful? Because you need it. That's why the, uh, the Bible uh, talks about being a two-edged sword that cuts down, lays bare your heart. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. You know what this is? This is not a curriculum to be mastered. This is a mirror to gaze into. And when I get into the Word of God, it exposes my heart's affections. And so over and over, uh, Scripture talks about this idea that I'm deceived by my heart. That's why anyone, someone says this, uh, follow your heart. Listen, that's the advice of a fool. Don't follow your heart and it's deceitful. Follow the wisdom of God's word. So, how do I detect, because here are the idols that are hardest to uncover, it's the ones that are under the banner of good things and works of good things. So let me just tell you this real quickly because we're, we're almost out of time. Three practical handles on how to discern whether or not work has turned into an idol. Uh, super practical. Here, here's number one. Work becomes idolatry when our joy is attached to it. Now, not my day-to-day -day happiness, not that superficial, but my deep, deep confidence in God and God's provision and God's future, despite my present circumstances, joy, when it's, when it's up or down based on work and how work's going on stuff, my joy is, guess what, work has become an idol. Work's become an idol. Uh, secondly, work becomes idolatry when we use it as a means for esteem. And so how, how do you know if that's happening? Uh, when we perform well on the job, 
but a lack of praise or recognition from someone else crushes our spirit, works become an idol. You, you, you look at work to do something that God himself wants to do for you. And then third, uh, work becomes idolatry when it's a source of pride uh, and self-confidence. Listen, your value is who you are in Christ, not how well you perform in any, any arena. And so work becomes an idol when it becomes our source of self-confidence outside of our position in Christ. Christ is the only thing worth worshiping in your life because he's the only one who laid down his life so that you may gain new life in him. And if you don't know him, today's a great day to meet him. Would you bow your heads this morning? Heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm just going to ask you, do you know Christ as your Savior? You will never live for the glory of God apart from a relationship with the Son of God. Has there been a time or a season in your life where you've been saved? If the answer is no, then listen, today's as good a day as any. You're not here by accident. If you're here this morning and you've never been saved or you're unsure if you've ever been saved and you want to pray to receive Christ right in your seat this morning, you can do that. If that describes you this morning, would you just pray, would you just confess your sins before a holy God and say, God, I'm not perfect when I compare my life with Jesus. And because of that, I need a Savior. I need someone to save me from my sins. And so I want today to start following Jesus Christ with my life. Come into my life and be my Lord and Savior today. Listen, if you're here, you prayed that for the first time. And the Bible says you've been born again. Many of you here have been believers for a long time. But if you're honest this morning, when it comes to work, whatever that arena is for you, home, outside the home, everything in between. If you're honest this morning, work has not been an opportunity for you to glorify God. It may be idleness, work has become an idol. But you're not glorifying God through your work. You're using it in a distorted way. And God's gotten a hold of your heart this morning. And you want to live for God's glory through your job, whatever that looks like. Would you just lift up your hand and say, hey, that's me. I need to start living for God's glory at work, not in spite of it. Would you just raise your hand right now? Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Amen. Anybody else? just pray for those of you that raised your hands and those of you that probably should have. Father, I know that it's easy to make commitments in this room, Lord, but sometimes they fade before we even get to the parking lot. God, I'm well aware that anytime we try to live for God's glory that the enemy and his opposition will come against us. And so, Lord, I pray tomorrow that for those who want to live for God's glory, they would be ready and expecting temptation to come early, opportunities to dishonor God with a response. They're going to happen this week. 
And so, Lord, let our resolve be set on you. God, every time that happens, just bring to mind that this is an opportunity to glorify God. Lord, we're grateful that you take broken things like us and redeem them for your glory and your use. And so, God, we pray that you would find us not successful, God, that you would find us faithful. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. If you're here this morning and you prayed to receive Christ, or maybe you rededicated your life to Christ, or some other kind of decision you want to get baptized or join the church, on the side of your worship folder is a little response box. You just check off and say, hey, listen, I accepted Christ today, or want to get baptized, or something like that. There's also a place you can write in a prayer request. Say, I'm struggling with something. And so if you already know, like, hey, the struggle's real, and you already want to write that in, you can write that in that prayer, I'm struggling with this, and just drop those in the offering plate when you come away. If you're here, and you would be encouraged by someone praying with you, at the end of the service, down at the front, there'll be some of our prayer team here, they'll have lanyards on. That's why they're here, is to pray with you this morning. So if we can encourage you through prayer, come up to the front and uh, meet with one of our prayer uh, coaches, and they'd love to encourage you through prayer. Well, we want you to live for God's glory in every area. And we know that one of the most challenging areas that people have in doing that is in the area of finances. And so this year we're opening up a couple uh, financial keys through Dave Ramsey. Uh, so we're super excited about that and so you can take advantage of that. So as the ushers come, uh, I'm going to invite you to, to tune into the videos. They come.